like somebody got a name, Woodshot. <laughs> yeah, it's always been kind of a hobby. I whittled that out of beech wood. Huh, it's beautiful. So, yeah. so what got you into uh, carpentering? Carpentry? <laughs> I guess I'd have to say Jesus. He was a carpenter, and I just figured if you're going to follow in someone's footsteps, who better than Christ? Hmm. Christ's Jewish. Are you? Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, so was JC. Wow, you're in good company. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <clears throat> Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. You can't get much better than that. Right? Um, as that clip shows, sometimes talking about Jesus isn't always the most normal, natural, uh, and uh, convenient thing to do. In fact, sometimes it can be downright awkward. Have, have any of you ever had an awkward where you've like you've tried to talk about Jesus, but it just it just hasn't come off right. It didn't didn't go quite the way that you expected it. Um, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we somehow we intuitively know that we ought to be talking about Jesus, but we don't know exactly how to do it sometimes. And um, I, I remember when I was part of a, a campus organization when I went to was part of UW Madison. I went to UW Madison, and they always talked about this this time that was designated that was that was uh, where you were expected to go out and talk about Jesus. They called it sharing your faith. Okay, we're going to go out sharing our faith. And and I always dreaded those times. <laughs> I, I always like found reasons to be, you know, sick or ill or something like that when they, they wanted me to go to the Memorial Union or the Union South and, and to have people fill out surveys. And, and the surveys were actually just a reason, just a contrived reason to actually get to talk about what we really wanted to talk about, which was Jesus. And it just, it just seemed very manufactured to me and artificial. And I'm like, there's, there's got to be a better way to talk about Jesus than, than what we're doing here. I remember talking to uh, two guys one time, and, and we were trying to talk about Jesus. These were in my dorm room. And, uh, and I said, well, I finally asked them a question. Well, well, who do you guys think Jesus was? And they, my one friend, Shane, he looks at me and he says, he says I think Jesus was like an alien being who came down to earth to show us how we should truly live. And I'm sitting there going, I got nothing. I, I, I got nothing. I'm not sure how to respond to this. I mean, I'm like, I'm not sure. And, and so, like, for, for many of us, our, our favorite verse in the Bible when it comes to telling people about Jesus is in Mark chapter 8. That Mark chapter 8, it says, Jesus warned them, his disciples, not to tell anyone about him. And I'm like, that for, for years, I'm like, that's my verse. That's, I, I, can, I can follow that verse. If I'm a follower of Jesus, that's one that I can, I can follow. Of course, Jesus at that time, his, his time hadn't come yet. And after he rose from his dead, he gave ex, explicit instructions to his disciples to go out and tell people about who he was. But at that time, I'm like, that. Uh, but I, I, I was, that was all kind of lost on me. And so uh, here we are at Kettlebrook. We're trying to figure out. I'm just going to move some of this stuff so I can't see you guys. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out, is there some way, is there, is there some way where, where we can be normal and, and natural, conversant in talking with those people that we love the most about 
what's most important to us, which is, which is Jesus. And we've, we've stumbled across this thing we've called gospel fluency. We want to become fluent in the gospel where we're, we're actually able to talk about Jesus in, in a way that makes sense, in a way that is uh, basically um, disarming and more normal and more natural. I remember when I was in Russia, when we first moved to Russia, we couldn't speak Russian very well. And, and I remember going over to my neighbor's apartment, Mikhail, He's Michael, you know, so Michael wanted to go talk with Michael. And, 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 and I remember going over there and just trying to have a conversation with Mikhail. And, and my understanding with, of Russian wasn't real good at that time, and, and, and uh, my speaking wasn't really good at that time. And so I'd come back so frustrated trying to just connect with this neighbor of mine, and I'd go home and I'd hit the books. And I'd go, and I'd, I've got to study this language because my level of frustration would be so high. I'm like, I've got to get better at this. And over time and over months and over years, I began to become more fluent in the Russian language. And I think the same thing is true about Jesus. That when we first start talking about Jesus, try to talk about Jesus, it, it, it isn't normal. It isn't natural. It's, it can come off as a little awkward in the clip like we just saw. But as we practice it, as we do it more and more and more, it becomes more normal and more natural. So this, the, the kind of the, the cycle that we've been talking about with uh, gospel fluency is we, st- we want to speak the truth in love. We want to tell people that we love about what's most important to us. And we begin by, by doing what Jesus did really well, is, is listening, listening to them. Asking them questions about their story, hearing their story. Because once we understand their story and understand their context, what that does is that builds a bridge into their life. We are giving them value and dignity by just taking the time to listen to what their experience may be like and what they've gone through. And once we've done that, we have this very fragile but very viable bridge that we can then begin to tell them about our story and tell them about our experience with Jesus and what Jesus has done for us in, in our life. And all we're doing is telling our story and just t- sharing our own personal experience. And, and people can't argue with personal experience, right? Like, what are they going to say to you? No, that didn't happen to you? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm me. I know what happened to me. You know, it's like, it's like the blind man in, in, in John chapter 9. Jesus heals the blind man. The, the Pharisees are getting all angry at him and they're like, you know, and they're like, tell us what he did. And he's like, listen, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. OK, so don't get angry at me, please. You know, so and that's kind of like telling our story is saying this is what we saw Jesus do in us. And so today we're going to focus really here on on his story right here. Talking about his story and let's say let's say you go through all these steps with friends or family or, or colleagues or coworkers. And, and you've built this rapport, you've built this relationship, you've taken the time to, to care about them and, and to communicate love to them and respect to them. And, and let's say you get to that, that wonderful but terrifying moment where they say to you, you know what, I actually am more interested in finding out about what you believe, about who is, who is this God. I, maybe they didn't grow up in church. Maybe, you know, the, my friend, he said to me, he says, Mike, you know, Tell me about Jesus. He said, where I grew up in, you know, South Milwaukee, everyone was either Catholic or Lutheran or Jewish. My family, we weren't anything. We were nothing. So tell me about Jesus. I'm like, 
You know, this is it. You know, do we know? Do we know what to say if we ever get to that wonderful but terrifying moment? Is there, is there a place in the Bible that we can turn to where we're like, is there a concise explanation or definition of what we want people to know? What do we need to, to leave in? What's important to, to include? And what do we need to leave out? What's not important to include when we get to a moment like this? And thankfully, there is a place in uh, the New Testament scriptures where it covers in a concise format what the good news about Jesus or the gospel about Jesus is. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That'll be, uh, oh, that's the Jackson Bible. Sorry, it is not on page 799. 815. Thank you, Cherise. 815. Yep. 815. We're going to read this, kind of uh, talk about it uh, a little bit after a while, and then hopefully come to some kind of application points for for our lives. So this is, this is the Apostle Paul communicating to the Corinthian believers essentially what are the nuts and bolts? What is the, the kind of the essence of the gospel? And uh, he says in, in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel or the good news. The two words are synonymous. I preach to you which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Paul right here is, is giving us what are the nuts and bolts, the, the, the bare essentials of uh, the gospel. And he starts off, he uses this word received twice. He says, he says uh, for what I received, or, or which, which you received, verse 1, which you received and which you have taken a stand. And then in verse 3, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. The Greek word here, received, it refers to like the authorized tradition of the disciples. This is what the disciples like staked their claim on. This was it. This is the authorized message that they passed on to one another, that they had mastered. And this is the essential elements of the gospel. And they are quite simply that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And that he appeared to his followers. Those are the, the nuts and bolts of the good news of Jesus Christ. But then there's this little phrase in there that appears twice that we, we can't ignore at all. And, and it's, it's the phrase that he uses according to the scriptures. So in verses 3 and 5, he says this. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Um, let's go to the 3 and 5 there. The next, next verse. Okay. So what I received, I passed on to you as the first word, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay? So... Essentially, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is inexorably tied 
and linked to another story. And that, that other story is the story that is in what he says, the scriptures. Now, when he says the scriptures, he didn't, we didn't have the New Testament scriptures. Okay, he, he was actually writing the New Testament scriptures at the time <laughs> when he's writing this. I don't know if he was aware of that or not. But, uh, but he, when he says the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And so he's saying the, the story of Jesus, the life, death, resurrection, and appearance of Jesus is a consummation and resolution of another story. And that's the story that's found in the scriptures, the story of Israel. And so what he's saying is that Jesus is the natural, normal conclusion of everything that was taking place in the Old Testament scriptures and what God had been doing and was up to from the very beginning of time. Scott McKnight, can we put up that Scott McKnight quote up there? says this in the story of the King Jesus Gospel. He says, you can't get away from it. Paul's Gospel, better yet, the early Christian Gospel, is rooted in... In the scriptures, the story of Jesus Christ then isn't a story that came out of nowhere like the Book of Mormon, and it isn't a timeless set of ideals as with Plato's philosophical writings. The story of Jesus is locked into one people, one history, and one scripture. It makes sense only as it follows and completes the story of Jesus. And, and this, this makes sense. You know, Jesus, when he first bursts on the scene after his, after his baptism. In Mark chapter 1, he announces to everyone, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And if, if you're just a normal person, you're like saying, what time has come? You know? And who, which God is this, you know, that we're talking about here? What does it mean that, and whose kingdom is this that, that has come near, okay? But what Jesus is saying is that I am now the completion and the resolution and the consummation of everything that God had been doing from the very beginning of time through the nation of Israel. I am now the the completion, the fulfillment of all those promises right there. And so Jesus then is in a very real sense the consummation of the story of Israel, which is a story that God had been writing from the very beginning of time. So you may be saying to yourself, okay, Mike, (laughs) does this mean that if we're ever going to get around to talking about who Jesus is, we need to talk about all of the Old Testament? Yes. No. I'm just kidding. But what I am saying is that what is helpful and what I think is really incumbent upon all of us who are followers of Jesus is to at least know the general narrative of the Old Testament scriptures because Jesus is a fulfillment of that story. And we can't help people understand who exactly Jesus was until we understand the scope and the arc of the narrative of Israel. And so what I want to do is just kind of give you a real easy, simple way so that you can be familiar with the flow and the arc of the Old Testament story. Most theologians will, uh, will uh, agree on the fact that there's about four or five major movements throughout all of the Bible. And I want to put up five of them. These are, these are the five that I have kind of landed on. The first one is creation, okay? Creation, we have a good God who creates a good world, a good earth, and it is perfect, and it is when it is just the way that God wants it to be, it is just the way that we want it to be, too. We have a great relationship with one another. There's no, there's no anger, there's no shame. We have a great relationship with God, and we have a great relationship with our creation. And, um, when, and when everything is as it's supposed to be, it's described by this Hebrew word, 
shalom. Okay? When we think of the word shalom, what do we think of? Peace. Right. Peace. That is just a little smidgen of the meaning of the word shalom. Shalom, in essence, means really when everything is exactly as it's supposed to be. When your world is right. Okay? That is the shalom of God. When you have good relationships with your spouse, when you have a good relationship with your kids, that's the shalom of God. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have this great picture of the shalom of God. But we know it doesn't last long, right? We get to Genesis chapter 3 and this, this disastrous decision by our first parents to rebel against their creator and say, we know how things should be run down here. <laughs> and, and, and sin enters into the world and the world breaks Everything in the world breaks, and we are a part of that brokenness, and we are broken people. We're broken in every single way imaginable. We're broken physically in our bodies. We break down and we die. If you haven't experienced that yet, don't worry, you will. <laughs> you know, and, and we're broken emotionally. We're broken mentally. We're broken sexually. We're broken every single way that we could possibly be broken. We are part of this brokenness. So that's all caught up in the fall. But the good news is that God declares right from the beginning, that he is not content to keep the world, to let the world stay in that status of brokenness. He says in Genesis chapter 12, he makes this incredible promise, okay? And Genesis chapter 12 is as important as Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but he makes this incredible promise. He says, I am going to bless all nations of the world, and I'm going to do it through a seed of Abraham, from someone who's going to come from Abraham's line. It's this incredible, incredible promise that's in Genesis chapter 12. And then the rest of the Old Testament is essentially God working to fulfill that promise. Abraham is Isaac. He repeats the promise to Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. He repeats the promise to Jacob. He says, I'm going to bless all nations through you. Bless all nations. He's going to, he keeps on saying, essentially, he's going to return the shalom of God to the world. That what the world was like in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the world is going to be like that again. It's not going to stay broken forever. And then Jesus then is the consummation of that promise. When he says the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying I'm the consummation of that promise. And through the death, burial, resurrection, and appearance of Jesus Christ, he is the fulfillment of all those promises of God. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have redemption. We have forgiveness. We're adopted into God's family. It's not just for Israel. It's now for all the nations, just like, Jesus, just like God had been saying from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless all the nations, not just Israel. Salvation comes through Israel. It's not for Israel, but it's through Israel, but it's for all of us, right? And so there's redemption. And ultimately, that is going to be consummated in, this, in restoration, recreation. We get to the end of the story. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 21, and we, we find that there is a new heaven and there is a new earth and uh, everything is there. There's no more tears, no more death, no more, no, more, no more cancer, no more pain. And the old order of things is done away with. And we are returned back to the shalom of God at the very beginning There's an, in this new heaven and new earth. That's the story, okay? That's the, essentially the story of which Jesus is a, is a part of and that we are a part of and we're, we enter into when we put our faith in him. So it's so important. I think we should just go through it real quick. So why don't you, why don't you just say this with me? Creation. 
We'll say it together. <laughs> Not after me with it. Creation, fall, promise, redemption, restoration. That's it. So that's, that's the grand movement. That's the grand arc of the story. And so if you w- want to help people understand the story of God and how Jesus fits in there, this is the story. And our story kind of fits into all of this. All of us are created. All of us have sinned and fallen short. All of us are, uh, have a great invitation from God to be a part of the promise. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we experience redemption. And then we have the anticipation of a resurrection when Jesus comes to restore the whole earth. And this is a, this is a, a great way. If you get 10 minutes of someone, if you get 10 minutes of someone, to just explain what the scriptures are all about. About a month ago, I was doing a funeral for a bunch of people, and I knew that in this crowd, most of the people there were not followers of Jesus Christ, not churchgoers, kind of, kind of a rough crowd, you know how it is. And, uh, and it was great. I got 10 minutes, and I'm like, okay, I want to help you guys understand what this book is all about, okay? And, and, and it's not a book of rules. It's not a book of unrelated stories. It's a book with one story, and one story only, and it's a story of, and I went through creation, fall, promise, redemption, and restoration. And I said, all of us can be a part of that story if we choose to be. Now, I think it's important to mention that as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, you, you may not have to hit every single aspect of these five points as we have opportunity to talk about. It may be that we just want to focus on one part of the story when we get a chance to talk to people and let them kind of express interest excuse me, in hearing more. I love looking at the Apostle Paul. He's always preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't hit all five of these points every single time. If you look at this, there's two, just two points, and I think I have them listed there in the questions. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is speaking to a group of pious, synagogue-going, uh, you know, Old Testament followers of, of God. Okay, they're Israelites, and they know the scriptures well. And so, what does he do? He focuses on, cre- on or, sorry, he focuses on, on the promise, the promises of God. He walks them through all these Old Testament scriptures, talking all about the promises of God, and then eventually gets to how Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. Okay. Then if you were to look at Acts chapter 17, fast forward four chapters, Paul isn't talking to Jewish people who knows the Old Testament. He's talking to a bunch of Greek philosophers in Athens, okay, who aren't familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And he does a completely different gospel presentation. There he focuses all about creation. And he says, the God who made the heaven and the earth, the whole earth, and has determined where every man is going to live and determined the times that we're to live, and he's done that, in the hopes that we would reach out for him and try to find him. And he even begins to quote some of their own, their own writers, their own poets to him. When he's a, but he doesn't quote a lot of scripture, but he talks about the creation and God creating the world. And then he says, you know what? Then he jumps right down here to restoration. He says, and he's appointed a time when he's going to judge every single person, every man of the earth, and he's done it by the man that he has, appo- he has appointed, and he's proven that he's his man, by, rising, by raising him from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Paul gets through an entire gospel presentation. He doesn't even mention the name Jesus. You're like, we're like, that's a faulty 
presentation, Paul. You didn't even mention Jesus. But what he does, he says, he says he's appointed a man and he's proven it by raising him from the dead. And then he lets them make the next move. I love it. In both of those situations, in Acts chapter 13 and in Acts chapter 17, he gives them just enough information to see who is interested. Who wants more information? And in both situations, in both situations, he lets them make the next move, indicate whether they're interested. And in both situations, some people, not everyone, but some people say, you know what? We want to hear more about that. We want to hear more about that. And then he goes and he meets with them individually. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You know, Paul knows, Paul knows that you can't give people more information than what they're interested in or what they want to know. Okay? If you do, what happens? They check out or you're pushing them further away. So he gives them just enough information to pique their interest, get their curiosity, and then those people who are interested come back to him and say, we want to hear more. We want to hear more about this. And so as you listen to people's story, you can begin to think and pray and ask God to give you insight and say, which aspects of your story, God, of those five movements fit best into this person's story? You can do this in almost any situation. Um, the, other, the other week, I was in at the YMCA after workout, and I was uh, in the sauna. And I was, I don't know, what do you do in a sauna? Sweat. <laughs> I was sweating in the sauna with this guy. And, uh, and we were talking, and we were just talking about nothing, you know? And, you know, here we are with just towels around us and, and you know, just talking about football and, and, and stuff. That I'm, like, I'm like, okay, how do I take this, this conversation just a little bit deeper here? And, and, and get, so I'm praying, you know, in the background. And, and, uh, and the guy that I was with uh, was this young guy, and he, he, had this, he had this tattoo, this big old tattoo on his shoulder. Tattoos, are, they're, like, they're like a great, great invitation to just, just ask people about what does that tattoo mean. They're just people who have tattoos. They're just begging. Somebody ask me what my tattoo means. What's the significance? Because no one gets a tattoo without significance, right? You know, so you get, it's always an appropriate question. And you're wearing this big thing on your arm. What does it mean? So I'm like, hey, you know, what's with the Chinese characters on your, on your arm? And, and he's like, oh, yeah, dude, um, I, I don't know. I didn't research it really well. I was kind of stoned at the time. When I was uh, when I got it, you know, <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not good to get a permanent mark on your arm, you know, when you're and and he was, he was talking and sharing. And then he went into his whole story about his struggle with drugs. And and, and then he, st- he he went into his 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 walk into uh, just getting off of drugs and getting in, into the recovery movement. And he's he's meeting going to AA meetings and NA meetings. And I'm like, that's really cool. You know, that's really cool. You know, I said, the church that I go to, I didn't tell them I'm a pastor. That's a showstopper right there. You know, you tell someone you're a pastor. Like, they just like check out. Okay, weirdo. You know, um, but, uh, but I'm like, the, the church that I go to, we have this group that meets at our church. We call it Celebrate Recovery. And it's a, it's, it's a recovery program, but from a, a Jesus-centered, Christ-centered focus. And I was telling him about it, and he's like, you know, I think I know some people from my AA meetings or NA meetings that go to that group as well. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it meets at this church. You, may wanna, you might want to check it out. But I was able to tell a story of redemption that one of my friends experienced in Jesus from being delivered from drugs. But that was just kind of where I, I, I said it. I just kind of set it out there, and, and I let him make the next move. 
And, uh, and he said he, he's going to try and check it out. So I'm like, okay, I'll look for you. I go to those meetings. I'm there every, every Wednesday night. So I'm like, I'll, I'll look for you. But, but I just wanted to just leave it out there, kind of like Paul. Just pique the curiosity, and if someone wants to respond, they can respond. And so I, just, I, like, I like to say it this way. What we want to do is we want to build a bridge into people's lives. We do that by listening, by caring, by showing compassion, by hearing their story. And over that fragile but viable bridge, we want to convey the truth of the gospel. starts with the truth of what Jesus has done in our life, but ultimately we want to get to the truth of his story, of God's story, and the truth of what Jesus has done, how he is the consummation and resolution of this great story that begins creation and then the fall of the world, and then the promise of God to restore the world back to the way it is and doing that ultimately through Jesus Christ. And so what we want to do as we just finish this series on gospel fluency of, of really kind of just committing ourselves as a community of followers of Jesus Christ to be, to be more fluent, to be more conversant in Jesus is to just celebrate Jesus and celebrate what he's done for us at the cross. The fact that he was the consummation of this great story and all the promises of God that he had been writing. In 2 Corinthians, there's this great verse that Paul says. He says, he says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those promises. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of communion right now. And as we do this, and as the band plays, um, I just want you to just pray and ask God to meet with you this morning. As you go forward to receive the bread and, and re- receive the cup, ask God to meet you in a very powerful and profound way. This is something that Jesus commanded us to do on a regular basis as his followers, is to celebrate and remember the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. How in his blood we are washed, we are cleansed, we are made new. We step in to the fulfillment of all of those promises that God has made. And we remember once again what it means to be his followers. Let me pray. And then, uh, and then after you've had a time to just, just pray, reflect upon these truths, uh, the band is going to be playing, and feel free to just come up, just grab some bread, dip it into one of the two chalices that we have here, and take it here at the table, and then you can return to your seats. After everyone's had a chance to do that, we'll come up and we'll conclude our service with some songs. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are writing an incredible story. It's eternal. And you invite us to be a part of it. You invite us to not only to be uh, redeemed by your Son, Jesus Christ, but you, you, you also call us and invite us out to be ambassadors for Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. This morning as we come before the cup and the bread, we pray that you would remind us of these truths. 
pray that you remind us as a community we want to be a worshiping and witnessing community to the truths of the scripture. We pray that you would meet us in a powerful and profound way as we remember your sacrifice on the cross through the very earthy and tangible expressions of that, the bread and the cup. We pray that you do all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.